0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would turn to your passage in your Bible, Malachi chapter 1, that's where we'll be. Today, continuing our study verse by verse through this final prophecy in the Old Testament. And while you're doing that, I want to do two things. I want to read another short passage of Scripture that kind of sets a context for today. And then after I do that, I want to give you just a brief word of introduction after I read our passage. In Isaiah chapter 6 it's kind of familiar. There's a, there's a description of Isaiah coming face to face with the Lord. And what I really, really want us all to catch is the response to that moment. In Isaiah 6, here's what we find in Scripture. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above Him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. And the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, listen to what happened to Isaiah. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That Scripture is a picture of what happens in someone's heart when they see a clear picture of Jesus. There's a, almost an immediate acknowledgement. God is holy and I am not. And it causes some things to happen in your heart and mind. So I want you to take that, file it away right here in your mind, and kind of let that be a backdrop to what we're about to Read and study. Our passage today is Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, going to the ninth verse of chapter 2. Here's what God inspired Malachi to write. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I'm a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to you priests... Who despise my name? Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asked the Lord of armies. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to you? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asked the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asked the Lord. The deceiver is cursed, who has an acceptable male in his flock, and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Therefore, this decree is for you priests, If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of Armies, I will send a curse among you. I will curse your blessings. In fact, I've already begun to curse them because you are not taking it to heart. Look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces. The waste from your festival sacrifices, and you'll be taken away with it. Then you'll know that I sent you this decree, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should desire instruction from His mouth because He is the messenger of the Lord of Armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You've caused many to stumble by Your instructions. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of Armies. So I, in turn, have made You despised and humiliated before all the people Because you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in your instruction. Father, I pray for your mercy. I pray for your grace. I pray by your Spirit, you would help us understand the Word I've just read. And as we understand, Lord, I pray you would help us obey. Help us to live by the truth You have given us. And I pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to try to be a little bit more, maybe a little more general in today's passage because it's longer, but it does have two very definitive sections and a very definitive theme. And I should tell you up front, I didn't really enjoy this passage because it was focused on me. And the more I read, the more unhappy I became. And the more I studied, the more guilty I felt. And if you remember a few weeks ago when we were doing that brief series about church membership, meaningful membership. And we're talking about what it means to be a member of a church and then about church discipline. And uh, I'll never forget because I introduced that second week by saying that I was a terrible person. And I know several were like really wanting to stand up and say amen. Yes, you are. You're a terrible person. Uh, Well, I'll just say it again. After studying this week, for this passage of Scripture, I'm more convinced of that than ever. And so, a lot of what comes out as application of this truth today is personal reflection. Because if you look at the title of the message, The Standard of Spiritual Leadership, this particular section of Malachi is focused directly on spiritual leaders. Priests. A.K.A. pastors. And it's not good. There's a verse in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 1, that says specifically, not many of you should become teachers because we will incur a stricter judgment. The standard's higher. As if I could reach the standard before that. You understand? So the, the standard of a Christian is higher than I can reach. The standard of a teacher is higher than that. Like what, what was I thinking? Uh, well, I wasn't. because this is not a job. It's a call. And it certainly wasn't my choice. But here's one thing I've discovered. I've read this passage over and over. I've looked at all the things God points out that are wrong with the priest. The mistakes they're making. The the way they are uh, not living up to the standard. And the way they're misleading those who follow. And then I think about that verse in James 3 where it says that the teachers will have a stricter judgment, a higher standard. But here's what I discovered in thinking about all this. I'm trying to incorporate it into my own life so I can learn from Scripture so I can have something to share with you. But here's what I discovered. When... When James talks about a stricter judgment for teachers, and Malachi talks about all the things God's pointing out with the leaders that are are wrong, I discovered that that stricter judgment that James talks about, teachers will incur a stricter judgment, he's talking about from God. But that's not the only place where the stricter judgment comes from, it comes from every direction. Unless you're a a pastor, I don't know that you can fully identify with what I'm about to tell you. Maybe you can. Maybe you can imagine how this would work. But I'm now into my 20th year of being a pastor. And one thing that I've seen and experienced over and over is everybody that's not the pastor knows what the pastor ought to be doing. Everybody that's not the pastor knows a better way for the pastor to do his job. I will even go so far as to say everybody who's not the pastor knows or thinks they know what a pastor's job description really is. And they are quick to make that known. And they are even quicker to judge by their own standard what a pastor should be doing. And it doesn't, if if, if that just affected me, you know, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. Bring whatever you've got. But it doesn't just affect me. Because a pastor is not on an island by himself. Because these stricter judgments and these higher expectations, many times completely unreasonable expectations, don't just get pointed at the pastor. They get pointed at the pastor's wife or at the pastor's family, or this is what you're supposed to look like, this is what you're supposed to do. And if you don't satisfy my expectations, well, then you're just not doing your job. Meanwhile, you know what happens tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock? Sunday's coming. Every week. I can't even faithfully read and explain and teach through a text today without having in the back of my mind, tomorrow morning, Sunday's coming, what's the next paragraph say? How is it going to affect me? How am I going to share what God says? If you are not called to be a pastor you will never survive being a pastor. That's the truth I've learned. It's not a job. It's not a chosen career path. It's a call. And if you don't have a call to the ministry, it just won't happen. It might, it might go on for a little while, but it won't happen. So very generally and briefly, I want to point out why God said the things He said in this passage of Scripture so that we can apply these things to our own lives because even though it's directed to the priest, there's an acknowledgment of disobedience, then there's a warning and an admonition. There's some application for all of us. And it basically breaks down into two main points. So if you like to take notes, here's the two points. Chapter 1, verse 6 to 14 is what in the world is going wrong? What is going wrong? You get to chapter 2 verses 1 through 9, it's what needs to happen. So what's going wrong? What needs to happen? That's the way this particular passage breaks down. And if you look at the verses 6 through 14, you see that the priests have despised the name of the Lord because they're leading people in the wrong direction. They're not living for the Lord themselves. Therefore, they've lost the ability to lead others to live for the Lord. Does that make sense? You can't give away what you don't have. So if I'm not following Jesus, how in the world am I supposed to teach other people to follow Jesus? It's impossible. So the number one priority for the spiritual leader, for the pastor, the preacher, the number one priority is I have got to stay close to Jesus. I've got to have a personal, growing relationship with Jesus. I've got to depend on Him. And all I could think about all week was how many ways I messed that up. Because the more I read, the more I study, the more I think of, well, you didn't do that, you messed that up, you didn't do that right, you let this person down, you forgot to do this. Well, what are you even doing? It's like an endless cycle of discouragement. Because we are often our own worst critic. And instead of thinking about positive things that have happened or good things that you've done, all you think about is the ways you fail. And I will tell you from personal experience, not here, not here so much, but in other, other ministries, when all I can think of is the ways i failed, it sure doesn't help when that's all other people want to tell me is the ways i failed. It's an endless cycle. But when God tells you, that's not just somebody's opinion. That's the truth. So God tells these priests, look at what you're doing. You've despised the name of God. And of course, they push back. What do you mean? How have we done that? They're offering sacrifices that are sick or lame or stolen. They're not according to God's commandment. They're not without blemish. They're not clean. And so they defile the Lord's altar. And they don't seem to even care. They bring things to God that they wouldn't bring to anybody else. What do you do when typically when you have company over? Maybe you've got somebody coming over. You want things to be just right, right? Um, the cleanest your house ever is is the five minutes before somebody shows up. Right? Can I get a witness? I mean, I see all the nods of affirmation. Yep, we just did this whirlwind of... A, let's, Quick, clean up. Somebody's coming over. And then you want what, do, what kind of dishes do you use? Now, if, if it's me, I mean, Darlene doesn't do this because she, she has a much higher sense of hospitality and style than I do. But if it's me, I'm going to get the, the thicker paper plates. You know the ni- I'm, I'm going to get like the chinette, you know, the, the serious. And the, the more sturdy plastic board, that's what I'm looking for. Where I you know, I don't press down and break it like I've done. Or maybe I'm a little, a little bit too exuberant when I approach the table. But, you know, you, you try to offer your best. You try to put your best foot forward, right? How much more should you do that for God? And yet these priests, they're bringing... They're leftovers. They're bringing, well, we don't want to give up our good animals in the flock for the Lord. We just, let's get, that one's got three legs and that one's you know, blind in the eye. Let's take take him over there. It'll be all right. We keep the best for ourselves. But, you know, we'll give God just whatever. You see the application for that? Not the Old Testament sacrificial system. I'm talking about in our lives. You ever approach God like that? Here, here's what it looks like in, in, in our lives. Yeah, I know church is, church is Sunday morning, but man, it's, it's the day before the full moon. I mean, deer's going to be walking this morning. I need to be in the woods. Uh, church going to have to wait. I can go to church any other time. I need to be in the woods today. Or the fish are biting. I need to be on the water. Church can wait. We don't give our best to God. We give God whatever's left over after we do what we want. Right? So the priests need to plead for God's favor. And despite these priests even doing what they're doing, God says in this first, the end of this first chapter, I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations despite this lack of spiritual leadership. Despite the priests that are disobedient, despising the name of the Lord, profaning the name of the Lord, defiling the Lord's table with uh, inappropriate offerings, stolen lame or sick animals, as you see down here at the end, the end of the chapter. You see verse 14 in chapter 1? He calls them deceivers. And He says they're cursed because they, it's not that they don't have it. See, it says you have an acceptable male in your flock and you make the vow, but then you sacrifice a defective animal to the Lord. It's not that you don't have it to give, you just want to keep it for yourself. So the truth in this first section is, despite all that, God says, I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. Robbie Gallaty who's a pastor up in Tennessee, outside of Nashville. He wrote a commentary on Malachi and he says, Before God ever accepts your gift, He inspects your heart. The value of the offering is determined by the heart of the one who's offering it. Before you give anything to God, you must give Him yourself yourself. Completely, And that's where these priests fell short. The reason why they were so uh, unbothered to give God their leftovers is because they had not had a recent Isaiah 6 moment. They had not gazed on the face of Christ and been overwhelmed and felt undone, ruined, because they realized the holiness of God and the sinfulness of their own heart. And so they were just lackadaisical. They were just nonchalant. Like, it's no big deal to walk up to the Lord of all creation. Like, that's no big deal. It's alright. It'll be alright. God doesn't mind. Yeah, I know we're supposed to support the ministry, but just throw a couple dollars in the plate. It'll be all right. Yeah, I know we should go to church. It's good for us, but they meet every Sunday. We go next week. It's no big deal. I wonder what God thinks about that. I wonder how God views the way we view God. So what needs to happen? Chapter 2, verses 1-9. to God gives a decree. It's an if-then statement. He says in verse 1, If you don't listen, if you don't take it to heart to honor My name, then I will send a curse among you. I'll curse your blessings. And then right after that, He says, by the way, it's already happening. Because you're already failing. I'm already beginning to curse your blessings because you are not taking it to heart. You're not having an Isaiah 6 moment. You're not looking at me. You ever run into somebody famous? Is he, you don't, have to, don't say it out loud, but if you've ever uh, just happened to, to run into, not necessarily meet them, but if you've ever run into anyone famous or seen them like in real life, raise your hand. Okay, so a few of you. Do you, know how, do you remember how it made you feel? Like maybe some surprise or some shock or like... I know one of our college students, he saw one of our football players in Walmart. He's like, oh my gosh, that's, he's right there. You know, it's kind of a moment of, wow. You know, he's just, an, he's just a guy, but he's you know he's got a little bit of notoriety. You know how that makes you feel? You're just like, oh... You know, you kind of. I want to go. I want to go meet them. I want to go shake their hand. You know, wow, look at that. They're right there. Maybe your pulse rate goes up a little bit. You get excited. When's the last time the presence of God caused you to have a reaction like that? When's the last time your pulse quickened because you felt the presence of Jesus? Did it have that kind of influence? Were you that excited? What about the prospect of I get to go to church this morning, I get to go gather with God's people, I get to go worship, I get to go sit in Bible study, I get to go and sing to the Lord. You see what I'm saying? Where's the excitement? Where's the the awe? The reverence. And God says, because of this attitude, there are going to be consequences. And see, the reason why God is singling out the priests, the spiritual leaders, uh, Robbie Gallatin again writes, when the leaders possess a lackadaisical attitude toward God, the people adopt the same mentality. It's contagious. If, if a leader is not following hard after Jesus, then how can we expect anyone else to do that? And I've always tried to say that I'll never ask anyone in the church to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself or that I'm not doing myself because I don't think that's, that's appropriate. I, I, don't, I, I think that's hypocritical. For a pastor to stand up and say, you need to be telling people about Jesus. Well, am I telling people about Jesus? Yes. Yes, I am. So that's why I'm fully confident when I look at you and say, you need to be telling people about Jesus. Because I'm telling people about Jesus. But if I wasn't, what right do I have to ask you to do anything? You see what I'm saying? It's the same thing with... An attitude, if I'm not reading my Bible every day, I shouldn't be expecting you to read your Bible every day. If I'm not spending time in prayer, why should I expect you to spend time in prayer? So God says, I'm going to rebuke not only you but your descendants, and he's pretty graphic. I, I, I've thought really long and hard about how, how am I going to explain this particular text. When you look at chapter two and verse three, it's kind of nasty. God says, I'm going to take the waste from these nasty animals that you're bringing to sacrifice to me. I'm going to take their waste. I'm going to smear it in your face and then send you on your way as a sign of what I think about these offerings you're bringing to me. That's pretty graphic. Pretty specific. But it also it ought to make a... An impression on us, and so what is the what is the model? God brings up the covenant He had with Levi. So, real quick, let me just tell you this. So, when God's people inherited the promised land, each tribe got an allotment of land, right? They each got a, an area, but the tribe of Levi did not, because they were dedicated to be the priest, the, the Levitical priesthood, right? So, their inheritance was they got to be the priest in God's temple. Which was a, that was a big deal. So that was their inheritance, not in terms of land, but in terms of uh, position and, and um, responsibility. But look what he says about the, the covenant that he had with Levi. It was a covenant of life and peace that was given to them by God. It was a covenant of reverence. This is all right here um, in verse 5 and following, 5 and 6. Levi revered God. He stood in awe of His name. There was true instruction in his mouth. Nothing wrong found in his lips, which means his teaching was accurate, biblical. He walked with God in peace and integrity. He turned many away from iniquity. So the truth in this second portion is that's the model. A priest, a pastor, preacher should guard his teaching and people should desire instruction from the lord's messenger not just did, did you do you know how much harm it would do to the church if the preacher spent all his time trying to figure out what everybody wanted to hear and just tell them that i just want you to be happy i just want everybody to feel good about themselves and did you know um uh, this has been maybe 12 years ago i had a church member approach me after a service one day and regrettably say you yeah, know me and my wife I, I, i'm sorry but i think we're going we're going to look for another church I'm like, really i'm sorry to hear that what is everything okay i mean what's what's the the main issue and he said well sometimes when we leave the the church service, we just don't feel good about ourselves, and I've I just I tried to hide it the best I could. But I, sorry, I mean, have you read the Bible? Uh, that's not the goal. Uh, I, I'm sorry you don't feel good about yourself. Maybe that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, because last time I checked the main purpose of reading the Word and coming to gather with God's people, it's not so I can feel good about myself. It's so I can feel really good about Jesus. Because I'm not good. So if I feel good about myself, that's a problem. Because I'm a sinner. I don't need to feel good about myself. I need to feel really thankful for Jesus. You know, Oswald Chambers said... That the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. So what are we supposed to do with this? These priests violated the covenant of Levi. They turned from the way. They've caused many others to stumble by their teaching. So God has caused them to be despised and humiliated before all the people. You see down here in verse 9. How does this, this is the question, and this is how we should conclude. How does this passage of Scripture point us to Jesus? What do we learn about Christ from, from seeing this Scripture in Malachi? Very simply, here's the, the main takeaway that we all need to t- kind of grab hold of. Why is it such a big deal? that God's mad at these priests and that He says they're leading people astray and they've turned from the correct way and they're not offering the correct sacrifices and all this. Why is that such a big deal? Why is He cursing them because they violated the covenant that He had with Levi and the proper priesthood? Why does that matter? Here's why. About 2,000 years ago, God in His infinite wisdom according to His plan and purpose. He sent His Son to come to this earth and take on human form. He sent Jesus out of glory into this mess. And Jesus, after being born of a virgin in humble circumstances, growing up in a carpenter's home, all according to God's plan, Jesus lived a life that none of us could ever live. It was free from sin. Perfect obedience to the Father. We, we can't do that. We get it right sometimes, but not 100% of the time. But Jesus lived a life free from sin. And then, after being arrested, condemned by sinful men, He endured voluntarily mind you he endured suffering torture beating and then ultimately death which he did not deserve we we deserve that he willingly laid down his life to pay the penalty of our sins and then after he was buried he rose up from the dead on the third day victorious He walked out of the tomb. He showed Himself to be visibly, physically resurrected alive over a period of 40 days to hundreds of witnesses. And then He ascended back into heaven so He could take His rightful place at the right hand of God. He sat down to signify His work was complete. The plan of redemption had been fulfilled. He purchased forgiveness of sins for sinners like you and me. And now, God tells us very clearly, if we will repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, ask forgiveness, and trust only in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, the death, the burial, the resurrection, if we'll trust in Him, God will forgive us of our sins. He'll purchase us back. He'll redeem us and send us to heaven with eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Everything we've ever done, everything we'll ever do, all the nastiness, all the filth, all the sin, wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. If we'll just surrender to Him, just trust in Him and His sacrifice that He made for us. That's why this is such a big deal. This is a matter of life and death. It's, it's bad enough for one person to, to sin, to disobey, to uh, leave the path of following Christ and, and plunge themselves into ruin. That's bad enough. But what's even more dreadful than that is for, for them to take people with them. That's why it's so important for these spiritual leaders to take note of what they've done. That's why God's making such a big deal of it. Because it is a big deal. They're not just responsible for themselves, they're leading other people astray. You want to know why I stand up here week after week and all I have in front of me to, to give you is the Word of God? Because I have yet to find a personal thought or a personal opinion or another idea that's anywhere close to as valuable to you as what God says. I don't have it. i got plenty of opinions. Last night, between 7.30 and 11 o'clock, I had more opinions than anybody wanted to know. And none of them were good. I just needed to be by myself. But when it comes to forgiveness of sins, eternal life, peace and joy... There is nowhere else to go but right here. The Word of God is foundational. It's our one and only primary source. You don't need to know anything that I think. But everybody needs to know what God says. That's that's where we find forgiveness that's where we find salvation Romans chapter 10 faith comes by hearing hearing from the word of Christ you want to find peace you want to find forgiveness you want to find everlasting joy even in the midst of terrible circumstances trust in Christ trust in Christ there's no uh, there's no plan B because God's plan A worked. We need Jesus more than anything. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.